a roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business. Hello and welcome to this edition of Global Business on CGTN and Guanxing in Beijing. Coming up on the program. Chinese President Xi Jinping stresses Shanghai's role in global innovation, calling for talent cultivation and financial development on the inspection tour. The People's Bank of China has reaffirmed its pledge to support the real economy, guard against the systemic risks, and deepen financial opening up. And in this edition of Biz Focus, we take you to an agri-tech base in Hainan province, which cultivates over 70% of China's new crop varieties. Chinese President Xi Jinping has held talks with Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko in Beijing. President Xi says China is willing to continue strengthening its strategic cooperation with Belarus. The two leaders discussed trade, cultural exchanges, and cooperation under the Belt and Road Initiative. The heads of states also discussed the Russia-Ukraine conflict. The 24th China-EU summit will be held on Thursday in Beijing. Chinese President Xi Jinping will meet with European Council President Charles Michel and European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen. Premier Li Chang will co-chair the meeting with Michel and von der Leyen. And Chinese President Xi Jinping says Shanghai should deepen reform and opening up from a higher starting point and enhance its development momentum and competitiveness. He made the remarks during an inspection tour in Shanghai from November 28th to December the 2nd. Wang Haiyang has more. As China's financial hub, Shanghai is a gateway to the world and an important center of trade and finance. During his inspection tour, Chinese President Xi Jinping urged Shanghai to focus on the construction of international centers of economy, finance, trade, shipping, and science and technological innovation. President Xi visited the Shanghai Futures Exchange. He urged the exchange to speed up efforts to achieve world-class status. And he called on the organization to play a broader role in the nation's futures regulatory system to establish an international financial center. The Shanghai Futures Exchange has attracted more than 2 million investors and enterprises from all over the world. In 2022, the annual turnover was more than 180 trillion yuan, around 25.2 trillion US dollars. While visiting an exhibition in Zhangjiang Science City in Pudong, New Area, the president said Shanghai should take the lead in becoming a globally influential center for sci-tech innovation. Shanghai's expenditure on research and development is expected to account for around 4.5% of the city's GDP by 2025. It also aims to host more than 26,000 high-tech enterprises and about 560 foreign-founded research and development centers by 2025. President Xi also heard work reports from party and government officials. During their meeting, he underlined the need for Shanghai to improve the city's core competitiveness, make breakthroughs in core technologies in key fields, and boost the transformation of its traditional industries. He said more efforts should be made to promote high-level financial opening up to better serve the real economy, set tech innovation, and the joint development of the Belt and Road Initiative. President Xi also said Shanghai should implement a strategy of upgrading its pilot free trade zone in full, promote the development of the International Trade Center, 
and enhance its capacity of global allocation of shipping resources. Wang Haiyang, CGTN. Chinese President Xi Jinping has called on the Yangtze River Delta to become a front-runner of development on the Chinese path to modernization. He made remarks during a symposium on promoting the integrated development of the region last week in Shanghai. Xi Jinping says efforts should be made to promote clean production in all respects. He also called for strengthening and optimizing the green and low-carbon industries to foster a green industrial system and to accelerate the development of sustainable ways of production and life. The Chinese president reaffirmed efforts to realize China's goals of peaking carbon emissions and reaching carbon neutrality. He called for enforcing the 10-year fishing ban on the Yangtze River as well as strengthening joint law enforcement. The Yangtze River Delta Zone has made visible achievements in green development since its integration became a national strategy. During the past five years, the ecological environment has continued to improve in the region with significant improvements in both air and water quality. Meanwhile, the regional environmental protection system has been optimized. The region is also focused on containing carbon emissions, ensuring our pollution control efforts for water and soil along the Yangtze River. The Yangtze River Delta Zone has established an ecological red line and set up several national parks to better protect and restore the ecology in the region. And to find out more about the economic development of the Yangtze River Delta region, we're joined by John Gompress, professor at the University of International Business and Economics. Thank you for joining us, Professor Gong. So during his recent inspection tour, Chinese President Xi Jinping urged Shanghai to focus on the construction of international centers for economics, finance, trade, shipping, and science and technological innovation. What insights can we draw from the emphasis on the five centers? I think these five areas represent the strength and the comparative advantages uh, of the city of Shanghai. And interestingly, um, a bulk of these five centers all have something to do with the international markets. For example, you know, the shipping center, the financial center, the trade center. They're all, you know, foreign uh, internationally oriented. And this is what the city is all about. So I think um, in this regard, the city really stands at the forefront of China opening up. Um, and it has been like that for the last few decades. And I remember in the 1990s when um, Mr. Deng Xiaoping visited the city, um, you know, that marks the beginning of Shanghai's entirely uh, opening up and, you know, the, the, the Lujiazui Financial uh, District Center, the Putong Development, all of these things happened in the last few decades. And I think what President Xi is saying is that we should uh, continue this path and that uh, take it to the next level. And what are the key messages from President Xi's speech on advancing the integrated development of the Yangtze River Delta regarding its future development priorities? Yeah, integrated development, I think, is the central theme of his uh, a series of talks uh, during this trip, uh, culminating, of course, in the the speech delivered at the symposium in Shanghai. I think what it means is that uh, to uh, break down the barriers among these three surrounding uh, provinces together with Shanghai, institutional barriers uh, to essentially uh, facilitate better flow of um, factors of inputs, labor, um, goods and services, anything else, to essentially to form a unified market. Um, and I think uh, what that can be uh, achieved uh, in the Yangtze River Delta area 
can be serving as an example for the rest of the China as well. Uh, after all, this era is indeed essentially the locomotives of uh, one of the locomotives of China's economic development. Well, thank you for sharing with us, and please stay with us for more discussions later in the program. The People's Bank of China will ramp up support for the real economy, guard against systemic financial risks, and deepen financial opening up, according to its governor, Pan Gongsheng. Pan said the central bank will keep its interest rate accommodative and push forward cutting financing costs in the real economy. He also said the PBOC will pay more attention to cross and counter cycle adjustments in maintaining reasonable credit and social financing growth. Pan pledged to increase support for major national strategies, key areas, and weak links, including China's property markets. He also pledged to make full use of structural monetary policy tools to beef up support for small and micro businesses, as well as scientific and technological innovation. China will also accelerate the reform of small and mid-sized financial institutions, according to Li Yunzhe, director of the National Financial Regulatory Administration. Li said the NFRA will collaborate with the General Administration of Financial Supervision to tighten supervision of the financial sector. Li highlighted the importance of formulating targeted and precise measures, such as making province-specific or bank-specific risk disposal plans. He said the NFRA will also speed up the development of a big data supervision platform to identify and lock out financial risks. In the meantime, Lee said that Institute will strengthen internal supervision. Enough more insights into China's financial policies we bring back our guest John Gong. So Professor Gong, financial officials have indicated that they plan to address financial risks and promote effective financial regulation. What insights can we draw from this latest signals? Well, first thing I want to point out that the uh, the uh, uh, the most important regulatory commission is shifting from uh, the state council to the uh, uh, to the party, and I think that sends a strong signal mm -hmm. as to the importance of finance and financial regulation uh, in China. And I think um, you know moving forward, this is a uh, one of the you know key uh, economic policies that uh, the top leadership is going to be directly involved in. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing I think is that um, um, you know financial regulation for the last uh, few uh, years have seen a fair share of problems. Uh, we have seen um, you know uh, several uh, quite large number of uh, government officials being arrested actually uh, in this area, uh, and that shows that uh, you know there's still significant risks in the sector, and also the leadership in a regulatory domain still has some problems, and I think. Um, this is the issue, these are issues that the central government is about to be addressed, um, and I think um, you know that that sends a very very strong signal. And many of these signals are following the earlier instructions from the Central Financial Work Conference. In your opinion, what specific plans can be expected? Well, I think the the, the, the important concept you know they're talking about is what's called the, um, the, the the deepening the supply side structural reform in finance. Um, you know, this is a, a fairly technical term in my view. It encompasses the um, the financing side at, at a macro uh, policy level, for example. Um, you know, what are the uh, imbalances that needs to be structurally adjusted, uh, structurally um, uh, reformed? Well, for example, you know, the ratio between equity financing and debt financing, uh, the ratio between um, 
you know, the, the share of large banks in, 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 in lending versus smaller financial institutions, where the funds are going into, for example, at a, at a societal and national level, uh, uh, whether the funds are going to the what's described as the real economy uh, versus, uh, you know, other things that are not related to the real economy, how many funding is uh, helping small and medium-sized businesses, uh, are there any, uh, you know, excessive uh, so-called financial innovation that are now related to serving the real economy? And all these things, I think, are related to, um, you know, the structural reform that's needed for. Uh, I think it's from that aspect that I think that, uh, um, you know, the, the policy in this area moving forward is going to address. I mean, I think uh, a lot of things will be done in this area. Well, thank you for your time, and we appreciate your insights as John Gong Professor at the University of International Business and Economics for us. In 2015, China issued a 10-year plan to build a non-fund scientific and research breeding base. The base has since made a remarkable contribution to the country's agriculture development with more than 70% of new crop varieties in the country cultivated there. Uh, Lily Liu visited one of the center's cultivation areas to see how seeds are planted for sustainable future food systems. The power of a seed never underestimated. This focus, feeling China's economic powers, I'm Lili Lu. I'm here in Nanfan Breeding Center in China's Hanan province. Nanfan in Chinese means breed in the south. It is traditionally one of the major breeding centers in China, and over the years, Nanfan has grown into a seed innovation highland. It is also dubbed as China's seed Silicon Valley. Every year this season, you see thousands of agricultural scientists and workers coming from all across China to Hanan province, bringing their crops, their seeds like corn, rice or cotton, etc., etc., here for cultivation and breeding purposes. And today, I'm going to visit one of the cultivation area of Nanfan breeding center to understand the power of technology in agriculture, in seed security. And also, I have one scientist as my guide today. Nice to meet you. Here, throw on a straw hat to shield from the heat. With the blazing heat, breaking the sweat was no surprise. But Mr. Wei couldn't be happier basking in the rays after a stretch of raining skies. A sunny day is perfect for sowing seeds. Hainan's winter gifts us with the ideal combo of sunshine and just right temperatures. Now is the prime time to plant crops that are usually call the North Home, corn, cotton, wheat, you name it. Where most places get just one corn cycle a year here in Hainan, we double down. That cuts our seed breeding process big time. A lifetime in agriculture. Mr. Wei's regular treks to Hainan since the 1990s paid off, as he saw the Nanfan seed base blossom into a science and technology stronghold. The vibe here is top-notch. Every winter, seed breeding, brain power from across China gather here. This was thriving as a hotbed for tech exchanges, research milestones, and pooling resources. Sure, farming's tough, but look at us always rolling in with new seeds and hope in our pockets. Like any job worth its salt, agriculture swings from sweat to smiles. That barbed wire is our line of defense against rat invaders. Smart little critters, though, they tiptoe over. So we play smarter, double wires. 
and weeds are a battle too. We lay down mulch to block them, but they poke through sometimes. And just within the cultivation area is a lab, which fell quiet during my visit. But Mr. Wei teased a buzzing season just months away. Big thanks to Yazhou Base Science and Technology City. With their support, we've got our own lab right by the fields for all kinds of testing. This coming Lunar New Year, this place will hum with calm tissue culture. Well, the Nantan Breeding Center is part of a mega project. It's called the Yazhou Base Science and Technology City. It sits on the west of Sanya City. It is one of the major parks of Highland Free Trade Port. I'm taking you there now. With a planned area of over 26 square kilometers, the Yazhou Base Science and Technology City dreams big, melting industry. Academia and urban life. It's no wonder the Nanban Silicon Valley drew over 40 enterprises and institutions, some with heavyweight clout. And perks? The project offers R&D equipment subsidies plus rewards for the innovators. Curious about what Liu's business brings to this hub? I swung by Joint Hope's office. The company has operations in various locations in China, and their R&D base is planted here in Nanfan. Apart from geographical advantages and the favorable environment for research centers, we also value Hainan's status as a free trade port. This is our golden ticket to nurture our import and export businesses. The company imports commercial seed varieties from the U.S. and European countries, with seed breeding magic in research center sprouts new strains. Then the new products are sold domestically or to overseas markets. We now cooperate with Central Asian markets. Think Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and Uzbekistan. We've set up a science and technology collaborative center there. And we're tackling Southeast Asia too. Take our showcase hub in Malaysia for starters. The seed industry is ushering in the spring, Miss Wang said. Back in the fields, Mr. Wei's gaze stretched beyond business opportunities. To him, seeds are the most powerful lever to shape our planet's future. Seeds can change the world. We want homegrown seeds to keep the rice bowl firmly in our own hands. From field to plate, the incredible journey of food begins with a humble yet powerful start: seeds, the agriculture chips. Apart from semiconductors, these biological chips also represent a fierce technological frontier for China. China's drive to achieve self-sufficiency in germplasm resources and seed technology is crucial. It concerns food security, livelihood, and environmental health. And it's not just for China; it's for the entire world. And before I go, just to leave you with some thoughts from my interview trips, food is a precious gift. Let's not take it for granted. Rather, enjoy every bite of it. 
And we have more on modern agriculture. We'll bring our guest, uh, Ji Lanlan, doctor candidate of College of Humanities and Development Studies at the China Agricultural University. Well, thank you for joining us, Lanlan. So what specific technological advancements in digital and smart agriculture have played a role in the development of modern agriculture? Thanks for having me here. Modern agriculture has been transformed by several key technologies. First, we have satellite and sensor-based tools that can help farmers plant and water more efficiently. This leads to higher crop yields with less resource use. Drones are another major advance, quickly checking crop health from the air, making farming more efficient. There's also new farming equipment that can work on its own, like machines that plant seeds or harvest crops without needing constant human guidance. A crucial part of this transformation is teaching farmers how to use these technologies. The Rural CEO Program by China Agricultural University and Tencent is a great example. It's not just about the technology, it's about empowering farmers with digital skills for this new era of farming. So these technologies combined with proper training are making farming more productive and sustainable, preparing a new generation of farmers for the future. Mm. And what is the significance of sustainable agriculture development and the protection of soil and water resources and ecosystem in the context of modern agriculture and how are digital and smart agriculture technologies contributing to these efforts? Sustainable agriculture is key in modern farming. Smallholder farmers focus on preserving their land and using resources like water and soil carefully. They often use traditional methods which naturally align with sustainable practices. In contrast, large farms utilize advanced technologies for sustainability. They employ precision farming using satellite data to efficiently manage resources, reducing waste and environmental impact. Smart water management is essential for both. While smallholder farmers use traditional knowledge for water conservation, large farms employ sensor networks for precise irrigation. So in this regard, in China, both smallholder farmers and the large farm large farms play a role in sustainable agriculture, but their methods and the tools differ, reflecting their unique context and the scales. Digital technology offer large-scale solutions, while traditional practices are also the cornerstone for small-scale, eco-friendly farming. And how has the optimization of the agriculture industrial chain led to the enhancement of farmers' incomes through the promotion of deep processing and value chain extension, for example? Um, we have seen the agricultural industry trains optimization has greatly boosted farmers' incomes. This is achieved by transforming raw farm produce into a higher value products and extending the value chain. A key example is the university here I am, and we initiated in Yunnan, uh, Yunnan province, where 35 villages are part of the rural revitalization experiment. So here, small-scale farmers are turning their produce into more valuable goods in local workshops by selling these upgraded products in city consumers. They gain higher profits. This not only increases the value of their crops, but also connects rural areas directly with urban markets. Additionally, these villagers are in great rural tourism, attracting city visitors. This not only promotes local culture, but also opens new income avenue 
for farmers. So such initiatives show how modernizing agriculture and diversifying into areas like tourism can significantly improve farmers' income. It's a successful blend of government support, academic guidance, and the local innovation, driving both agricultural and rural development. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and we appreciate your insights. That was Ji Lanlan, the doctor candidate of College of Humanities and Development Studies at the China Agricultural University for us. At the ongoing UN Climate Conference in the UAE, Sunday was set aside to discuss the impact of climate change on health. This is the first time that the UN Climate Summit has engaged on this issue. COP28 plans to set a new action plan for the global stock take. The conference this year is determined to include health milestones in its program. Already more than 120 countries have approved the move. And citizens Adel Al Maruki reports from Dubai. The World Health Organization says that poor air quality could be killing up to 7 million people every year. When including issues like extreme heat, storms and floods, the casualties figures because of climate change would be staggering. Yet this is the first UN climate summit to include health talks on its thematic day's agenda. The WHO and many organizations are thrilled. I truly believe that health can be a game changer for climate action because it matters to everyone. Our addiction to oil, gas, and coal is not just an act of environmental vandalism. From the health perspective, it's an act of self-sabotage. So significant and important. I don't think Indigenous people around the globe have ever separated out climate um, from health. You know, if climate is good, then we get good health outcomes. So for us, it's a real acknowledgement of our ways of knowing, being, and doing. One of the aims of this conference is to include health actions in the National Determined Contributions, or NDCs. This is to ensure that not only health facilities save power and reduce their emissions, but to also regularly evaluate and measure climate progress based on human lives saved and health issues they face. We have received 123 commitments from countries that are ready to sign the health declaration. It is a giant leap in the right direction. And of course, I continue to engage and I continue to ask many others to sign up. At COP28, I ask you to take the opportunity to make a real difference to health, to the health of millions of people around the world. I think nations' behaviour towards climate need to start in negotiation with health services, first and foremost, and be able to resource and plan with health services. And of course, think about health workforce as well, because when these outcomes begin to exacerbate these outcomes, poor health outcomes because of climate, it's our hospitals that are going to be seeing clients, it's our workforce that we saw in COVID that are going to be under that strain. So we have to plan now. COP28 announced that giant philanthropies have pledged some 1 billion US dollars to scale up diverse support to national efforts in facing climate-related health issues. Health deserved to be on the climate agenda long ago. And as COP28 is finally recognizing that, the WHO has three recommendations. To accelerate phasing out of fossil fuel, which the organization says could save up to 1 million lives every year. It wants to build climate-resilient, low-carbon health facilities and to boost climate finances to the health sector. Adel Mahroui, CGTN, Dubai. And that we do for this edition of Global Business on CGTN. Thank you for being with us. I'm Guanxin Beijing.